Hey everyone, hey and welcome back to yet another episode of Alpha Metallica. Today is a slight detour uh, from the usual route. I appreciate some people may be shocked, you know, some people may be expecting, uh, you know, later episodes. They may be saying the end of the line, for example, which we're doing next week, looking forward to that. But no, we are going for... Probably the song Metallica have played the most, if that makes sense, because it's literally played at the start of pretty much every single show. Like, I think initially the band had this intro song that was like a heartbeat that grew quicker and quicker. James rightly dismisses it, um, and Exe of Gold is an unbelievable track in its own right, and we're going to go through that. But we're also going to talk about its use as an intro to Metallica, uh, Metallica covering the song you know, as well, on um, We All Love Ennio Morricone, which is a 2007 Morricone tribute. Of course, the Ecstasy of Gold is an Ennio Morricone song, but in a sense, it's a Sergio Leone song. The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, you know, the sort of the close of it, Tuco, when he's frantically searching the cemetery for the grave that holds all the gold coins. His strident is unbelievable, and we're going to dissect it today. Just before we do, at Metallica Pod, if you want to follow the show, episodes that are coming up on the show, get in touch with me, metallicapod at gmail.com. I've got a great email to read out in a little second. Um, Patreon, iTunes. If you want to support, please do. And, you know, today is a special guest. Um, the first real guest. Well, that... I'm a guest. <laughs> no, it's special, man. <laughs> uh, because not only the first one to be on the show, technically, because episode one is when I did 2 by 4 which... Everyone said in the comments that I was, like, manic on the episode. I was, like, going way too fast and, like, listening back, it is kind of cringy. But, you know, befitting 2x4 to a certain extent. But the first guest I had um, was, you know, a great friend of mine. Um, you know, someone that I've shared many good times. We recently went to Arc Tangent, um, a sort of <laughs> post-rock oh, yeah. festival in, in Bristol. Um, but more so, you know, he's been on the show. But more importantly, Alex... You you did the theme to Alpha Metallica, which, you know, thank you so much. It's a great theme. Everyone enjoys the theme. Uh, at the beginning and the outro of every episode, you know what I'm talking about. You've just heard it. I'm sure you may have just fast-forwarded through it to a certain extent, but it's still there. <laughs> I won't hold it again. You've probably <laughs> heard it many times by this point. It's still there. It's still an honor. But, you know, the true crazy thing for me personally, as someone who, you know, I've had you do my themes for a while now. I always like your work, of course. But, like, you know, Chaosware. Um, the lovely man who covered your theme of the show, like it's a very meta, um, congratulatory thing. Yeah, that was an unusual thing to to watch to mm. have someone who's obviously because I've not released any kind of sheet music or anything for it, so he's obviously sat down and mm. and listened to it and learnt it by ear, and that's it's a it's kind of a strange thing to watch, but yeah, thanks. Mm -hmm. uh, Thanks, Chaosware. Thanks for the the, the cover. Yeah, it's yeah, good. Good yeah. playing. Oh yeah, nice oh, guitar. Oh no, he's 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 a brilliant player. He solos over the main riff as well. You know, he adds his own flavour to it. Is he French? Or he's like French. He's French. He's coming on the show soon, actually, very oh, soon. Great. Cool. Yeah. Um, for Escape. So in about two weeks, three weeks or so. After Rided, I kind of like the song Escape as a little teaser there. I don't think it's necessarily a, uh, a bad song. But um, Alex, it's great to have you on, man. Thanks for having me. I love being here. No, of course. I've, I've been I've been saying that I want to get back on the show. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, how are you feeling about the show? Because you must be quite a way in now. How how far are you in with all these episodes? Yeah, you've got so this is like this That's is like... quite a discography you got to tackle there. <laughs> it's big. The the are bigger. The big. Are, yeah. The, 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 the are bigger. <laughs> the are smaller. Like I, I I sort of as I've, I've got a podcast as I now when I listen to bands I listen to discography and I think to myself like oh a Rolling Stone podcast would be a bitch like you know going mm. for all those songs but Metallica they're not as sprawling in that sense they have the studio albums they have a, they have defined legacies that are kind of fun to do 
that probably would be less so if I was just going album by album. Well, you're in the process of proving its plausibility. Yeah. So. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully on the side of the positive. Just before we get into the song and the discussion, you know, we've got to get our plugs out of the way, I suppose, in a certain extent. And I just want to shout out Caught on the Wire as well. That you do, I used to do, I should say, have a very good friend of mine. There are loads of Wire podcasts, I understand that. I understand saying Wire podcast is like a sort of ridiculous thing to say because everyone has their favourites, blah, blah, blah. But um, you and Toby, it's just such a thorough examination of a show so deserving of that attention. Um, yeah, I mean, just to, to those of you that don't know, yeah, as you mentioned, a friend of mine, and a friend of ours, Toby, and uh, myself, we put together this episode-by-episode episode analysis mm. of, of HBO's show, The Wire. And I guess it was like 150, 160 hours in total. Oh like we really, we really went in depth, and uh, we just no, no, no corner left unturned. You know, mm-hmm. it's um, it's just going into every single detail, all the epitaphs, all the quotes, all of the mm-hmm. hidden details, and and uh, yeah, I'm very proud that we did that. I haven't done another podcast since, other than coming on coming on your own. I kind of miss it in a way. Yeah, I think back on those times, and I think. It was like this epic project week after week. You were just mm. plugging away. And when it was over, it was like, I don't know, it was almost like a bereavement. It was like, mm, mm, it was like mm. now we're not doing it. And obviously a bit of an overstatement. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have to find an excuse to do another podcast. Yeah, what would you do it on? Me and a friend of mine, <laughs> me and a, this very different direction. Okay. Me and a friend of mine, we toyed with the idea of doing like a tabletop. Oh, yeah, podcast, I remember you saying, yeah, yeah. But yeah. it was going to be focused on like narrative and like the storytelling element of podcast. Bo- Podcasting and um, like board games and uh, yeah, I, I I think I decided that it was quite a lot of work to be jumping straight into because we were going to video us playing the game and all this. We had all these crazy ideas and I couldn't figure out a way to simplify it. So I was like, this is this is like too sprawling too quickly. I need to think of something simpler. Just get into a quick email uh, from Nick. Uh, shout out Nick Anderson. He says, "Hey Tom, I've been a long time listening to the podcast. I originally heard about you through the guys over at Metal Up Your Podcast. I'm a huge fan of all things Metallica. If you'd ask me, I'd say they piss excellence and shit gold. I can honestly say that there is not one Metallica song that I dislike. I respect where they were as a band and as people during Load, Reload, and Say Anger. And I know it's an unpopular opinion." But I still love those albums. I'm super excited to get the Unforgiven trilogy, even though it's a long way down the line. And I'm patiently waiting for the rest of Justice, which is my personal favourite album. Keep up the good shit. Shout out, Nick. I understand that, you know, more and more doing the show. Like, I know I rag on Reload. We did Ate My Bitch, right? And I don't, I don't remember I was yeah. that complimentary of it. Neither of us were. No. We, we both had a bit of a negative tone to it. <laughs> it was kind of seen as being a bit... Um... I don't know, just a bit crass and mm. uh, lacking in any of the the lacking in much subtlety. I guess that seems like a strange thing to say about metal, but uh, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I don't remember exactly what we said, but it was it was along those lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, re- I remember you uh, you were dismissing the rhyme scheme that James had. And oh, the, li- the lyrics are yeah. really lazy. Like I think it's, they're they're hard hard for me to defend, but. Mm-hmm. I don't want to take anything away from your your email layer because he seems mm. like a like a massive fan. So no. it's big respect. No, no, no. Shout, shout, shout out to Nick, definitely. But um, we'll take a sidestep away from Nick, away from Metallica. Um, we're talking a little bit about Ennio Morricone. You know, uh, a living legend, right? The Italian composer. Oh, he's one of. I mean, one of the most important film composers of all time, mm-hmm. and and quite an unusual character as well. Um. As well as you know, as well as having a lot of stuff that is relevant to him musically, like he's obviously written a lot of stuff, composed something like five hundred film scores, like uh, has a whole original classical repertoire of his own as well. Mm-hmm. He's got to be one of the most like sampled and copied 
composers as well. Yeah. Um, I know that uh, like Jay Z has sampled him, and I know like Tom York is a big fan. He mentioned like some of his recording techniques that he used on his classic films was used when they were doing OK Computer. Um, and lots of other artists have played his stuff live, obviously including Metallica. Um, so yeah, just an absolute, absolute legend, like you said. You you, you go through his back catalogue; it's outstanding, really. The thing he played on, um, mm. you know, in the Line of Fire, which is a slept-on Clint Eastwood movie, where he's like the sort of the, the the guard to the president who was there, Kennedy there the day Kennedy was shot, and he's haunted by it and. You know, it's uh, yeah, quite, quite terrible in a way. The hateful eight as well. Yeah, it he made was... sense to see him doing that. Yeah, and, yeah, um, yeah. Just kind of deploying his his style, but with a. I guess he. I guess that the, those classic films always were meant to be a little bit tongue in cheek. Mm. Um, that there there is an element of that to the the, the, the spaghetti westerns, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, so it made sense to see him do that film, and uh, I. What do you what do you think of the hate, hateful eight? Have you are you a fan of that? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I saw it actually. Um, I, I loved it. I thought I, I enjoyed it a lot more than Django Unchained. I find the okay. writing a lot more compelling. I enjoyed the slowness of it. Um, the fact that everyone died at the end, which <laughs> is quite unusual. I mean, let's get into the the, the song itself. His version of the song, um, which yep. obviously is famous um, from the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, as we say, but as just a piece of music, as we'll get into later, it has been commodified by popular culture to, to such a huge extent but it's still really effective you know let alone being the damn intro to metallica i remember seeing them in birmingham uh, check out the episode and i remember this coming on man and obviously everyone is chanting that and mm. is there a bit of sweetness to the ecstasy of gold for you that makes it all the more powerful it's a piece of kind of great expectations um mm. the way that it kind of ascends into this hysteria as it goes along, it's good for whipping people up into a frenzy. I think, I oh, think yeah. it's very effective at doing that at the start of a concert. And now that it's got the added familiarity of them doing it every time, mm. it just builds that up even more. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. got an almost um, like uh, what's the word? Like re- I think the Americans call it like reveille, right? Where you kind of it's like where that is what they use to wake up soldiers, where they kind of do the the, the trumpet fanfare. But it, it's also just this sense of waking up and. Uh, and that feeling of ecstasy, like the ringing bells and the brass fanfares, it uh, you know it's very very stirring. Mm, mm. That that repetitive piano motif at the mm. start, which is nigh on monotonous in a very effective kind of way, and it, it gallops, doesn't it, as it grows? Yeah, it's it's Morricone's famous most famous piece for a reason, mm. I think. Um, and it uses what's, what's interesting about Marconi's music is that because of his background and the way that he got into film scoring, he was involved with a lot of like Italian films, like principally Italian films. And I know that the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly was distributed in America by one of I think one of the smaller hmm. um, production companies or like an artist-focused production company. So they didn't have as as much money. There wasn't as much kind of like much of a budget going on when he was making these early films, and that influenced his sound quite a lot because he couldn't have big orchestras like people came to expect from a lot of Hollywood scores. So that's why he introduced things like guitar and um, like things like whistling and voices right. and uh, whip cracks and gunshots and things like that. Mm. Um, because it was, you know, it's quite easy to record that sort of thing as opposed to recording a whole orchestra. 
Yeah. And he just made that part of a, his sound, and that's now iconic because of those limitations, you know, art through adversity. Let's take it just as a soundtrack that it is for a moment to the good, the bad, and the ugly clip, and just building that sort of atmosphere. It almost dictates the scene, doesn't it? Like, I've rarely seen composers do where it really kind of adds a whole different dimension to what you're watching. There's a, there's an idea in a lot of modern film music that seems that the music is kind of not meant to be noticed too mm. much. And that it's meant to kind of just un- literally underscore. Like Marvel movies, I mean, to, to bring yeah, the tone yeah. down a little bit, but yeah. <laughs> did you uh, shout out four? But yeah, did you see that? Uh, did you see that video? The, that most recent yeah. one from uh, Every Frame of Painting, where he was talking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yes, yeah, yeah, I did, yeah. Um, our, our symphonic universe, as he puts mm-hmm. it, and um, and yeah, that's that's a that's a good example of how I think film music is kind of not being deployed quite well. The, a lot of the famous composers at the moment talk about temp tracks and that being the issue but i think it's also just i don't know some of the music's just not very interesting i don't know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. people in glass houses and that but yeah but, and uh <laughs> it's it's you know i'm I, i'm not particularly interested in a lot of it and i'm, I'm not really like interested in the music either I, I i listen to more film scores than i watch films that probably sounds sure. a bit sad but ah. but um yeah but yeah, I, there's a lot of like films that I've not seen, but I have heard the soundtrack, and you can, you can just kind of like get a sense of the way that it presents the tone of the film. And when you listen to Morricone's stuff from throughout his career, it's really commanding. Mm. Without him, just he's not just expressing himself all, all over the film. You know, a good composer is there to to serve the mm. production and to serve the the kind of the overall vision. And in something like you know with Ecstasy of Gold, like you say, it it really kind of dictates the the way that you view the scene because it's quite a simple, quite a simple scene really. It's just mm. a guy running around a graveyard, like. Mm-hmm. But because of the context of the film, and the way that the the music has this this kind of frenzied fanfare and the 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 sort of the wailing female voice, it's mm. it's so triumphant and. Yeah, there's no ignoring that. There's no there's no underscore going on there. It's a real <laughs> kind of parity of, of, of audio and, and, and visual. Yeah, and, and those vocals, as you say, mm. uh, I mean, real real heart-swelling, aren't they? They remind me of like the Pink Floyd's Great Gig in the Sky, like, you know, something yeah. real, real guttural. And... I believe it's sung by um, Ed Adele also. Okay. Uh, she's like a very long-time collaborator with with Morricone they've worked together mm. on a lot of films and he kind of like I say because he had to use like solo voice and because he didn't have the same budget to do full like wind sections and all this sort of stuff you get in a full orchestra they work together a lot so I, th- I think it's her mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and talking about this is a song that moves you in a certain way it'd be top of our free song on reddit <laughs> it's got the reddit reference in, you know what I mean in early yeah it, um, it kind of yeah. ha- ha- has that element to it, I think. It, yeah. it would be. I, I'm. It's got to be pretty high up on the our mu- movie music. Yeah, 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 definitely. It's got to be up there on our movie music. Definitely. Or, um... Um, and uh, you know, as you say before, it is a it is a rallying song. It is a call to arms. So of course, you know, Metallica would utilize it this in some way. And and just to go forward a little bit to look back, uh, twenty fourteen. Uh, Metallica were artists in residence at the 37th annual Mill Valley Film Festival, um, which is take place in October in California City. Each of the band's four members hosted a screening of a film that they personally selected for the event. And these are perfect. We get all these examples and they sum up each member of Metallica in a film beautifully. So apparently Kirk Hammett played the 1971 cult film Dracula vs. Frankenstein. Okay. So not seen that. Um, definitely going to check that one out. Robert. Uh, the bass player hosted Jocko, um, which is a documentary helped produce about uh, the late ba- bassist Pastoris, who oh, obviously yeah. Alex legend. legend, right? 
absolute legend yeah I mean, he's on um i was listening to jody mitchell's uh live album from the 80s a little while back I can't, mm. light and shade i think it's called okay. something like that mm. but yeah he plays on that and it's like an absolute masterclass on how to make the bass like absolutely awesome on a live gig mm-hmm. and not just you know i know you got you got the groove you got the solos you got the anyway yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> let's mm-hmm. not go too much into no no <laughs> It's all good, man. Like a solo, just keep going, man. Like Jacko yeah. would, Jacko would have loved that. But um, last played Whiplash, which I haven't actually seen. Um, I know is highly, highly regarded. Oh yeah, yeah, with a drummer uh, sort of teacher, J.K. Uh, Simmons. J.K. Simmons, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I did enjoy that film. Okay, um, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, but I think it was kind of. Some people may have seen it as like a. Uh, somehow realistic portrayal of what it is to to be a musician and to struggle and like it goes a bit over the top the guy is like drumming until he's like bleeding everywhere and it's like it's like um it's like a monty python sketch where they do stuff and like that you know like it's only a flesh wound and like he's just covered in blood and playing the drums and it's mm-hmm. just it's like a bit over the top like, <laughs> you wouldn't you wouldn't do that to yourself you're a musician when you start sure. when you start bleeding and stuff on your instrument you're like hmm I might be doing something wrong you know this yeah, is not yeah, good yeah, yeah. so but yeah so it had that, that kind of hyperbole but that also is what made it very dramatic and exciting it's a good film mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'd watch it and uh, you know also, got loads of good music in it as well so yeah yeah I need to see it I need to see it um, James presents the final film The Good, The Bad and The Ugly He's what he put on, which was, uh, you know, very, very pertinent for today's discussion. He said, quote, I don't remember the first time I saw it. I became a Clint Eastwood fan early on in my life. And it's one of those films that was one of the early Clint's characters, one of the mentors on screen that I wanted to emulate. The tough, cool, quiet guy. I actually identify with each person in the movie, the ugly one, the good one and the bad one, which is kind of like a Metallica lyric. I'm just saying here uh, without getting too deep. But yeah, metaphorically, we all have that in us. We all have the potential to be each of those. And um, then they were speaking a little bit about the beginning uh, of using the song as well. Um, and, you know, we had this real terrible intro tape that was just his heart beating and it got faster and faster. And then we came out and our manager said, that sucks. You can do better than that. So he played us the Ecstasy of Gold. That was one of the coolest things our first manager ever did. That was pretty much the only thing that we kept from him advice wise. So, you know, it was awesome to see that this was a staple. You know, so much in Metallica is this premium veneer. Like, there is such a quality about this band in all essences of the word. And the branding, uh, you know, both live and in print works so well. And this part, this song was definitely part of it. Um, It was quite cool, Alex, to see that they covered this song. You know, they returned the favour um on a tribute band for Mar- a tribute album sorry for Morricone in uh, 2007 yeah it was uh, like we we all love Ennio Morricone or something like that weird title um, <laughs> it's just like you could yeah. have done a song title or something like but <laughs> um yeah it's it's kind of, it's a it's a fun um it's a fun tribute mm. and it kind of has that those three sections to it where you got the first bit which is more literally like the uh, the original like oh, with yeah. the piano bit in the beginning and they they do the the, the main theme and then it kind of goes into this like and kind of Lars brings him in and then it's like this scalloping yep. you know classic thrash metal version of it metallicanized yeah yeah it's at, it's like it's maximum Met- metallica mm-hmm. um all, all the tropes are present oh yeah oh yeah including oh, yeah. slightly out of time drumming yeah yeah and and, and uh, <laughs> James going yeah yeah oh yeah like that's that's it that's the whole thing yeah, yeah. war is happening like yeah it is uh 
the br- epic the br- pentatonic solo <laughs> <is taking> place. <laughs> double stuff double the brandest oil oil wow, muscles what a wow. yeah it's uh I, I, the current tone isn't very good in it i don't think it's sort of yeah also i think um because i'll come on to this in a second because they've also played it live i did watch a video of them playing it live mm. in like copenhagen and it's james that plays that lead part at the very beginning right Sounds a little bit out of tune to my yeah. end, but but yeah, it's kind of like a nice they, when they do that live, they kind of have him and, and Kirk, and he's like playing the arpeggio bit, and mm. and then after they do that bit, after they do the classic thrash metal bit, there's like an orchestral outro, or it's maybe I think it's just strings, but they kind of have that 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 strings bit at the end, which is quite nice, kind of a more somber, fitting ending after you've had this kind of bit of fun beforehand. Mm. Mm. And, you know, credit where it's due, really, um, I like when bands do this. They use multiple guitars to mimic orchestras, and, you know, it's quite creative the way they do it. Yeah, and the layering I, of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, it takes a lot of intelligence musically to do that, and I like the opening arpeggios mimicking the piano. And, you know, yeah, it's you know, it's it's on a tribute album. It's not, you know, it's not a sort of mainstay release or whatever. Uh, it doesn't really mean anything, uh, but it's cool nonetheless. And, you know, it's I really... I think it makes a massive difference as well, but it's also pitched slightly lower than the original. Right. So it's just because if it's... I mean, usually that's why metal is often, like, down-tuned. And, mm. So I think it's at least, like, a semitone lower than the original, which gives it a slightly darker yeah. sound. It gives that heavier sound, which you kind of come to expect from metal, so... They've approached it in in the Metallica way, and it's it's uh, it's very it's very effective. Like I say, it's just a yeah. lot of fun. I think. Yeah, 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 definitely a lot of fun, especially when you first hear it. You know, it is uh, it just sparks things uh, inventively, and Kirk solos out at the end and sort of goes with it. It's nice doubling at the end, um, a little bit of an ambient motion as well on the track um, before it closed off. Neil and Bradley, who's just some guy on YouTube, I don't know who this guy is, he said, I'll play this at my funeral, but I would come back to life. <laughs> Shout out Neil. Um, but uh, <laughs> let us know in the comments below what you think of XD of Gold in, in whatever fashion you think, you know, if it's as the soundtrack song, if it's as a Metallica song, if it's as an interest, whatever, you know, what do you think of the track? Let us know below as well. Um, but, uh, Alex, any closing thoughts on the XC of Gold? We could talk a bit about um, kind of the the how metal music and kind of classical music or soundtrack mm. music seems to go quite well together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there is this, like... Neoclassical. The... Yeah, well, that was a genre in its own right. Mm. Um, and because uh, there's been, like, some research... There was some research a while ago about how they were saying fans of both classical music and metal had similar dispositions... And mm. that they were similar people, and thus they kind of have a, a lot in common, despite them supposedly right. being very different genres. There was a sense that they were open to experience, and they tended to be like introverted but peaceful, mm. um, which that kind of reflects my experiences in playing because I play in a metal band. Yeah. Um, in habit, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just kind of do Get what I'm. It's, it's not really my project. I just kind of do what I'm told in that band because I just play bass and they kind of do all the writing. <laughs> I just do what I'm told, but it's good fun. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I obviously meet a lot of metal bands and people in metal bands. And when you see them on stage, some of the bands that I've played with, like they're, they're, you know, they're quite they're almost like scary on stage. Yeah. They're like really kind of like brutal <laughs> heavy metal. But then when they come off stage and you talk to them, they're like, oh yeah, all right, mate, how are you? <laughs> yeah, that was good fun. You know, they are just kind sure, of sure. a lot of the people I've met have been really lovely, friendly, calm 
chilled out people but you know put them on stage put a guitar in their hands and they're just a completely different beast so mm. i can i think i can see that i think i can agree with that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um it seems to kind of this connection between rock music and classical music kind of comes with progressive rock in the in the 60s if i think about it because mm. you know you get this this typical um opposing sides of popular music and and uh, classical music but by the 60s you know the rock musicians had really had advanced um you know really advanced the way it had begun and uh they wanted to be seen as being as legitimate as classical music i suppose mm. and prog rock is born and it all gets a bit more complicated using techniques that especially structural wow. techniques that are normally associated with classical music so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I, mean- I strongly recommend everyone checks out um uh, do you, if you want to see something crazy from the 60s that's metal, basically metal and uh, classical music, then you need to watch Deep Purple's Concerto for Group and Orchestra. Mm. There's a video of it on uh, from 1969. And uh, yeah, it's Richie Blackmore mm. absolutely tearing it up. Let's go. What about, I mean, Rubber Soul um, in my life? Like, that has that classical solo in it. Yeah, well, the Beatles, I mean, you know, that's their perfect example of those techniques being brought into the mainstream and being deployed in, in kind of popular music and I've in been, a way that had just never been done before. I've been listening to so much Beatles. And shout out to Clint Wells, who um, from Metal Up Your Podcast. I know he's going through a Beatles phase as well. And he's like, I've been listening to so many Beatles podcasts as well. But I've got no one to talk about the Beatles with. It's like, I can talk about Metallica, but I can't, like, you know, it's just, it's, every, everyone's got that within them, really. But let's talk about XC of Gold. Let's not get off, off, off yeah, some tick I, I live in I live in Liverpool, so I get enough come about on. the Beatles here. Come on, come on, man. Yeah, there's just, yeah. I mean, Actually, I have a Guitar Techniques magazine just across the room from me that also has <laughs> Learn the Chord Secrets of the Beatles in it. <laughs> I um, actually remember being in your room when we used to live together and you playing um, Do You Want to Know a Secret to me? Oh, man, I love that, yeah, I love yeah. that song. I remember That's you, a great early like, Beatles song. I'd not heard it before. I'd, I'd maybe heard it in passing, but you put it on and was like, listen to this, and I, and I was like, yeah, this is fucking great, man. And I, <laughs> I still love that song. <laughs> so, uh, oh, man, shout, uni shout, days. Shout out to those Halcyon songs. Halcyon days. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... To close up, we'll just mention, as we mentioned in the intro, that this song has just gone through so many permutations uh, and so many incarnations. Uh, the Rocky Horror Show uses it as a climax. Yo-Yo Ma recorded this song in his tribute album called Yo-Yo Ma Plays Ennio Morricone. The Simpsons used it. Jackass 2, Jay-Z, Immortal Technic Spongebob. You know, um, most important to me, um, Alex, I'm not sure if you're aware of Daniel Bolelli. I'm, I'm saying that wrong, I believe, but um, the Joe Rogan guest? Uh, the name mm. rings a bell. Yeah, he's sort of like a Dan Carlin-esque sort of, you know, pagan warrior, awesome guy. Um, apparently he's used on his History on Fire podcast as well. So, you know, it is one of those songs, isn't it? Like certain pieces of classical music like this can be marketed so well. Yeah, well, it's, as soon as you hear it, it instantly stirs a very particular emotion I, as long as Mr. Morricone himself doesn't, you know, he doesn't seem to mind. I don't know if he ever has any any contact with Metallica or minds them using his tune. Yeah. Over and over again. I mean, he's quite a Morricone's quite an unusual guy in a way because he. I don't think he ever takes any interviews in English. I think right. he only ever accepts interviews in Italian. And even though he's like a quote unquote Hollywood composer, mm. he like has he like refuses to live in like Hollywood and has only ever lived in Italy and. So he kind of like, mm. he does his own thing. You know, he's a legend, but he's kind of not really as, he doesn't really seem as integrated, if that makes yeah. sense, as, as a lot of the other Hollywood composers. So yeah. he's probably just not even aware of it or doesn't care. It, it's a thing for Metallica. 
you know, correct me if I'm wrong, dear listeners, if it's a thing for other bands, I'm sure it is, but having, like, an intro song, having, you know, the song that plays before you go on, the song that everyone joins in with. Do you mean, like, specifically, like, another piece of... Yeah, yeah, I know there's other bands out there that do that, but I can't think of any off the top of my head. Because a lot of bands do their own intros, Mm -hmm. and they'll kind of have their own, like, intro tune and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But I think using another artist's piece to start your own gig is, like... It's quite a, it's quite a big statement artistically, hmm. because you're using another artist's work to represent yourself, to represent how you you know you, how you want to initially make people feel at your live show. Mm-hmm. That's that's quite a bold move, you know, and quite a humble move actually. Yeah, because a lot of bands would obviously want to be very protective and they want it to be about them and they want to make sure that everyone knows how great they are. You know, mm-hmm. the kind of secret ego of a lot of musicians. I'm sure. Come um, on. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it's but uh, yeah, fair play. I think it's a it's a great it's a great choice. I mean, if you were going to whip a crowd up into a frenzy, you could do worse than the Ecstasy of Gold. Yeah, yeah, completely. And the, the title finally, it's so evocative. Yeah, yeah, it's it's well, it's it perfectly suits the the scene mm. that it's mm-hmm. from. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, when that piece ends, if I remember the film rightly. The gold that he's looking for. Spoiler alert, by the way, for a film right. that's you know very old and you should have seen by now. <laughs> It, when he opens up the the gravestone that's marked, I think it's like, oh, I can't remember what it's marked now. It's like sure. somebody's name on it. But anyway, it's not that grave. That grave is empty and just has a skeleton in it because before they have the three-way, the famous three-way duel at the mm. end, um, Blondie is like, it's not, I'll tell you where it is, but we have to have a duel. Whoever, whoever lives gets to know where the gold really is. Mm. So... Okay. Okay. Well, That's a, it's an interesting that it's kind of titled like that, but the ecstasy actually turns into agony. Yeah, yeah, and it is a remarkable piece of music in in the many many facets um, that it's in. And um, just before we go, man, like you know, if people dig y- your soundtrack work for Alpha Metallica and, and Battle Rap <laughs> Resume and and otherwise, and where can they find your music, man? Your website. On the off chance that you should be running a podcast and want a small theme for it or something let's like go. that, then. Then uh, yeah, I you can find me on my website. It's um, alex cottrellcom c o w t r e double l. You can just contact me on there, and uh, there's links to like social media and that. So I won't won't tell you that as well. But uh, yeah, yeah, we'll put yeah, we'll, we'll put it. Everything I'm doing is up there. So if you care, there it is. <laughs> we'll put it down below. We need to put um, our wild green demos out, man. Oh no! I've, there's when the music is sleeping is on my SoundCloud. No way. Okay, it so was the first thing I ever <laughs> uploaded on SoundCloud, and it's still there, man. So, so Wild Green, just for those uh, listening, me and Alex when we're at uni together, like I sort of rapped, I guess, over your music, or did my poems over your music, and we did like three or four songs, <laughs> and they were pretty fucking good, actually. Um, the the uh, two that, that were properly finished, the the two that we did, nine that were types just kind of like, was like. Yeah. Well, that was that was more that was that was more specifically your rap. Sure. Whereas when we did the wild green stuff, it was more like it was your poems and and uh, and uh, my music kind of mm-hmm. coming together mm-hmm. in more mm-hmm. of like a I don't know, more like poppy <laughs> yeah baroque poppy kind of way. Um, um, yeah. It was cool. Very yeah, proud of what yeah, we did yeah, though. Yeah. And the raps, the hip hop stuff we did was like that. That was that was fun. I think it actually sounds pretty good. Nine types is a is a classic. Nine types, yeah. Nine if I'm types. ever like want to feel the spirit of university course through my body i just need to hear that opening hammond or well, no it's like a Rhodes, it's like a Rhodes piano or something oh and then james's sax 
Yeah. Because a friend of ours played sax on it. Yeah. And Sean is on it. Sure. No, the XC of Gold. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, you know, please follow Alex on the links we've spoken about. But um, Alex, this has been great to have you on again, man. Thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. And I will await any future invitations to be on again. Of course, of course, man. <laughs> but best of luck with the show, man. It Thank looks you. like it's going really well. So you've Thank got a bit you. of a mountain to climb. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sort of, I'm not breaking the back yet because I'm on like 40 of 150, but it's like, you know, uh, just got to keep good. going. That's good. That's good going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When do you start it? Uh, in May. Okay. You know, so. Yeah, it has been a while since I, yeah, you must have done a lot of episodes in that time. But yeah, man, this has been great again. Um, I want to thank everyone for listening. And Alex, finally, cheers, man. Thanks very much. See you later. <laughs>